Hey everybody, this is Posty Posterson coming to you from a nook in my attic and I've got another Super Deluxe Special Edition episode. In case this is the first Super Deluxe that you've ever tried, these episodes are a little different than the regular podcast episodes. Um, usually I'm behind the scenes and I help Scooter with some editing of the show. But once in a while he says, hey Posty, why don't you take a show that aired recently and layer in some soothing ambient sounds in the background. So that's what these episodes are. We do this as a little bonus way to say thanks to everyone supporting the show. I work hard to keep these nice and mellow, keep Scooter as the focus, and just sprinkle in some sleepy sounds. All right, without any further ado, here's another Super Lux Special Edition. Super Deluxe, I kept it nice and minimal. Um, I was talking to a good friend about our childhood tree forts the other day, and I thought that's, that's a nice place to have a nap. That idea of those afternoons where you'd be in your tree fort with the wind blowing through the trees, it'd be sunny. So that's what we'll be doing for tonight's Super Deluxe. Scooter will accompany us with a recent episode where he he reads a textbook. So imagine school's just let out, you bump into Scooter, and he says, hey, I found this textbook. Want to go through it? And you got no worries in the world. You head over your tree fort and read a textbook. I really hope this helps you get some sleep. Thank you all again for your support, and good night.
right, everybody, it's the Scoots here, and we have another uh, Did I Read This episode? And this one will probably maybe extend it out over, over a, a few different episodes. Uh, so this is an interesting one. It also is a journey into my past. I guess is all uh, Did I Read It episodes have been were the one we've done. Uh, but this could also be called Adventures in Did I Read This. So let's see. Let me start the meander with, uh, you, you, I mean, you listen to this podcast. You know I'm always on the eye. I, I always have my eye out for interesting things. I don't tend to be much of a collector, uh, but I am always like, especially when I'm on the street and I see a box on the street or I'm at a, a flea market or uh, like a used goods store, uh, garage sales those are all great places to find stuff for, for the podcast and at some point and I don't know which which one of those things it was I found two a te- well I found at first I found one textbook from a high school I'm assuming it's a high school textbook it could have been a middle school textbook and it caught my eye and I said wait a second is that was it did I did we use that textbook in school at some point and even when I, like, and, and this is no offense to my school system or whatever, but even when we had it in high school, it was a, it was a day, it was, it was dated. Uh, not only was it a, a well-worn, but very well-made textbook construction-wise. This is a really uh, well-constructed textbook. Uh, but even then it was dated. Uh, and I mean, I don't even know about the content. I'm just talking about the cover, uh, so that's another reason why I said, wait a second, I know that textbook from somewhere, and I still have not confirmed it. Maybe I sent a picture to some people I went to school with, uh, but I, and I haven't, and I, I picked it up and I said, oh, maybe one day my daughter and I could read some of the books from there. Also, I just remembered that I also found one from my grammar school, so I guess this could be a really uh, ongoing series for sure. And we may have to, this is a very thick book, so we may have to break it up into many categories. What's interesting is I found it in California. I went to school in New York State, so it was definitely a national textbook. The front cover, as I'm holding it in my hand, is it says Adventures in Reading. And then on the bottom right, it says Heritage Edition. And then the picture is of a long jumper. And uh, like a, like like in the Winter Olympics, which is interesting. I don't. I mean, maybe it'll be referred to in the book. Maybe it's a big story. And the long jumper is in a red like uh, snowsuit or uh, whatever you call that, uh, like a long jumping suit. He, his mouth is open, uh, and he's long jumping. He's like doing that thing where you're like parallel with your skis. He's number thirty-seven in inner sport. Uh, his suit is red. He has maroon mittens on, and his, then his suit has some blue decorations on it. He has a dark blue hat, hat on and white goggles and then dark red boots. Uh, so that's the cover. The side says Adventures in Reading Heri- Heritage Edition by Harcourt, Brace, and Jovanovich. Uh, and then the back says uh, it says the same thing, but it says Center for Curriculum Development. And when I open it, this book was uh, it doesn't have anybody's name in it. It just does, it does have two dates that somebody wrote, uh, like a due date that they checked it out from the library. 
July 1st, 1983 and July 8th, 1983. But it doesn't have any other identifying things on it. It just has a, so maybe it was a school library book. Because it just has a date due thing taped to the inside of the book. And then it has a blank uh, stamp like you would fill out in school when you checked a book out. But it looks like this book was, it, it does have some drawing on it. So it was checked out to students at some point, but no one signed it out. And that says, like, this book's a property of state, province, county, parish, school district, other. Book number issued to year used condition issued returned mine was always my my textbooks always went through a hard time pupils who this textbook is issued to must not write on any page or mark any of it in any way consumable textbooks accepted teachers should see that pupils name remember when they used to call students pupils uh, clearly written in ink in the spaces above to every book issued. In every book issued, the following terms should be used in recording the condition of the book. New, good, fair, poor, or bad. I don't know how many textbooks my parents had to pay for. Okay, so this is the Adventures in Literature program. So this was like an English literature book. Uh, and this is a whole program. We only have one book, I think. Adventures for Readers, Book One. There's a teacher's manual, a textbook, and a reading writing workshop. A. This is not what we have. This is just an advert or like whatever. Adventures for Readers, Book Two. Teacher's manual, textbook, reading and writing workshop. B. Oh, then Adventures in Reading. That's what we have. Teacher's Manual, Textbook, Reading Workshop, C. Adventures in Appreciation. I could definitely use that adventure. A teacher's Manual, Textbook, Reading Writing Workshop, D. And then Adventures in American Literature, Test Manual, Textbook, and then Adventures in English Literature, Test Manual, Textbook. Uh, then we get to the like uh, the next page, which has a uh, drawing across two pages. And it shows kind of like two, two or three cows and then two Roman-looking uh, people, like a guarding. I don't know what they're doing. They have shields. One, They have different things, and the cows are eating grass, and one cow's looking at the two Roman uh, uh, guards, we'll say. And this is Curriculum and Writing, Fanny Safir, formerly teacher of English, New York City Schools, New York, New York, Center for Curriculum Development. Then it says Adventures in Reading, a Heritage Edition. It has the company's little thing, Harcourt, Race, and Jovanovich. Uh, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Atlantis, Dallas, and London. Uh, then it was copyrighted in 1980. So I don't know what grade this was for, but I did not... I wasn't in... Oh, wait, was I in... Like, it grew up in the 80s, but I don't think I used this book in the 80s. Uh, but we'll see. It says, all rights reserved. Uh, so I'm not going to read very much from the book. I'm just going to use it as a, you know, what do I remember thing. And look at some of the pictures and stuff like that. Uh... Again, the 80s were not the same as things are now or the 90s. So, so this book was probably in use, at least in where I grew up, in, in uh, 
the 90s. It does look like it's high school level. Then it has all the acknowledgments of the stories from the book. Uh, that goes through there. Design and production, the cover. Oh, top European ski jumper, Willie Pertz, uh, P-U-R-S-T-Z. Uh, then it has a list of critical readers and contributors. Okay, and then it has the con- con- continents. Uh, and, okay, I definitely read this in high school because I can remember already I'm seeing some very important and impacting books uh, in, in people. Uh, so, uh, let's see, I wonder if we should... Uh, wow, there's a lot in here. Uh Okay, yeah, I remember this is high school. I remember the teacher who taught it. Uh, uh, one of my favorite teachers who I did an episode about because I owe, I still owe him a letter of apology. Uh, but, uh, like, uh, he was a great, great teacher, uh, Mr. Stopnik, I'll say, because he was one of my favorite teachers, even though I probably, at one point, what, he liked me, but then I kind of wasn't a great kid. I, you know, I had a lot of angst and stuff. And when he tried to kind of mentor me, I kind of like uh, like wanted to be left alone, even though he like it, it wasn't his; it was me. So, but I definitely have positive uh, mem- memories of this uh, in in a lot of these stories. Uh, and so this would have been for me freshman year of high school, maybe or sophomore year of high school. Oh, probably freshman year as I'm looking at some of these stories. Because uh, we did a lot, like the other thing was I can see like multiple of these stories me and my friends made movies of. So I feel like and now I'm getting a flood, like uh, this is interesting. So there's short stories and they cover different things like plot, character, points of view, setting, theme, uh, practice in reading and writing. Then nonfiction uh, and essays, uh, practice in reading, writing, biography, biography and personal recollection, uh, poetry, uh, diction, imagery, uh, figurative language, sound patterns, structures, tone, uh, types of poetry, lyric, narrative, uh, dramatic, uh, practice in reading and writing, uh, then drama, uh, practice in reading and writing, more some Ro- uh, Romeo and Juliet, then practice in reading and writing, then an epic poem, uh, then a couple other uh, maybe epic poems, uh, then a novel. Uh, then a guide to literary terms and techniques, and that's it. And then it opens with like a little thing about short stories. Uh, uh, so study of short stories, I'm trying to uh, paraphrase, begins with plot, organized patterns of events in the story. Sometimes as simple as in our first story, which Scooter mistakenly, which already lead to a couple tangents, uh, and then sometimes the plot's more complicated uh, and maybe more than one action to follow. Occasionally a plot is structured to lead to a surprise at the end, like a story very similar to like Emmett Otter's, the story that Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas was based on. 
Uh, some stories, uh, the plot is the most important element, uh, and readers keep reading to find out what will happen next. Uh, and, but in most stories, characters are oh boy, characters versus plots. Uh, generally, the story focuses on a main character, uh, though uh, things can, that's not always the case. Another element is point of view. Uh, point of view is like a camera in a movie, it lends through you that you, the reader, view the action. There's a first person point of view from the central character in the story, some are told from a third person point of view, as if it was seen by an objective observer. Uh, still other stories are told by an omnis omniscient uh, is an omnis omniscient uh, all-knowing narrator who tells not only what happens but also what the characters think and feel also short stories have a setting a time and place of action some are uh, out there uh, like our first story or others are uh, more regular uh, like uh, a neighborhood finally Short stories do more than excite or amuse. That's a quote. Uh, they have themes, an idea about life. Occasionally, a theme is expressed directly through the author, but generally it's not directly stated and must be inferred through other elements. Uh, and all the short stories in this unit are examples of the short story's art. Uh, as you explore basic elements, you'll gain skills to help you read the other story stories with greater insight and enjoyment. Okay, and this was definitely the beginning of the school year, I, I, I think. Uh, and the story is uh, 15 or 16 pages. Uh, and the story is called... Uh, so I accidentally, once upon a time, titled an episode. I think it was Nuns in Space Season 1 with the title of this story. And it was one of the lowest performing episodes of that era because of the title of the story, and I didn't realize it. And this is after I've been doing the podcast for like three or four years. And more recently, there's uh, this has become more, at least in, two, uh, two, what is the year, 2020, there's uh, was a revival of this. Uh, and there's a revival every, every couple of years. This comes into a different artistic take on this story. And it's by Richard Connell, I believe. And it's called the most the the game with the most uh, the game that's not like a watch like watch your step game. The most game watch your step game is one way to uh, say the title of it. Also, there's many other ways you could say it, but that's just the way I'll say it here. Because uh, and so this story, so it's interesting that it was the first story. Uh, because what happened was, is, so I, I don't know if we read it at the beginning of the school year or not, but right after we read this story, so we were still, uh, like, even though I was, I guess I was a freshman in high school, that uh, me and my friends still played a lot. Uh, we didn't necessarily play with toys at this point. Maybe we kind of did. Uh, but we definitely did, one th one activity we did was we'd go over to my friend Charlie's house and we'd shoot movies. Uh, he had a, a camcorder and we'd make movies a, a lot. Uh, and that actually continued over a few years. And so we made a movie based on this. Uh, and actually, I don't think, I don't know if I was there for it because I can remember... Uh, watching it, but I'm not exactly sure if I was there th when they made this. Uh, 
because um, I don't remember being there. I definitely remember watching the movie, so maybe I'm just like thinking of it. Uh, we made other movies in this time frame all the time, or maybe we shot it over a couple weekends. And Charlie was normally the one that ran everything. I didn't do any. I would do basic acting if I was there. But I remember covering the basic elements of this uh, or watching the movie. Like there was a banquet scene, there's a running in the woods type stuff. Uh, and there was like a over-the-top rich, rich guy stuff. Uh, so this is a book about, uh, well, you, 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 we don't need to get into the plot. Let's go to the questions, though. Cause it, so it's like a story, and I just, oh, let's do the, there's pictures, too, or drawings. Uh so there's one, uh, the first drawing is of like a tropical island and someone sleeping uh, near the shore. There's also a lot of definitions. A chateau is a castle, a large country home. Uh, Astrakhan is uh, the curled fur of young lambs. Uh, gargoyle, we kind of know what that is. Uh, Purdy is a famous uh, English manufacturing company. Uh, let's see, debacle. Uh, we we kind of know what debacle is. Sometimes I have my own mini debacles. Uh, the second scene is like two people have dining in a fancy dining room with candles and a lot of things on the walls. Maybe a bit like a lodge. Au revoir. Au revoir. Right? Is that how you say that? Uh, until we meet again. That's in French. Uh, then there's like uh, two people hiding out in different ways, uh, uh, like uh, in the like. That's another drawing, uh, playing hide and seek. Yeah, this that's what this book's about is playing hide and seek or the story. Then Madame Butterfly, an opera by Puccini, and Marcus Aurelius, uh, uh, Roman Emperor, Emperor one sixty one to one eighty. Okay, so it's for study or d- discussion. Uh, let's see. So this tells a story between two two main characters or two characters. Uh, why would their struggle be less inf- interesting if they were from different, uh, if they had different careers? Two part of the stories uh, tell uh, what's to come. A discussion on the ship between two characters and their observations. Uh, and then with a sea in here, as uh, one of them goes for a swim to the chateau. How do these episodes hint at what's coming? And this is paraphrasing. It's not uh, just because uh, if you see the scoots, that's not what they said in the book. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there's discussions. Some of the discussions are important for uh, two reasons. They provide information uh, about what's coming up, and they provide a con- contrast between the characters. What information is provided? What is the contrast? I wonder if we had to... We probably had to answer these questions. But these are good for class discussion, I think. I mean, I, this is... Like, I definitely liked reading these stories. And we probably read them out loud in class, too. Uh, talk about some of the, uh, the unfolding events in the story. Uh, and how did you feel? Near the end of it, uh, there's... Uh, some, one character takes action. What is that action? That would be interesting when you read it in class and then they ask, what is the action? And people would just be like, I don't know. 
uh, you'd be like, like, because you were just not paying attention at all. That happened to me multiple times, mostly in math, though. Uh, why do you think the author changes uh, the point of view at this point in the story? Uh, the conversation at the beginning of the story reveals uh, one of the character's attitudes. Do you think his attitude changes course in the story? Give evidence to support your answer. Okay, and this is something I always talk about when people talk about the podcast. It's like, like C-O-N-F-L-I-C-T, because it's important even in a bedtime story podcast. Uh, important element in stories, novels, and plays. Uh, it's uh, dealing with two different uh, forces going in different directions or points of view. It may take place between individuals, individuals and uh, non sentient beings, or some natural force. I'd say it could be even, uh, it's even more than that. Conflicts, uh, uh, sometimes there's external conflicts and sometimes there's internal ones. Uh, The most obvious one in this book is between the two characters. Are there other ones? Are there any internal ones? Uh, Then it talks about suspense and foreshadowing, uh, building interest through a story. Uh, This is is interesting because this is the kind of stuff that I think all, this is the kind of education and understanding that I think is really important. I don't know if, uh, I guess my daughter's not in high school, but to think about, oh, these are the elements of stories. Uh, And I guess this really impacted the podcast. Again, this is a great teacher and a great class. Uh, so the quality, the readers want to know what happens next. Uh, the author creates a, a, a suspense about one of the characters. Uh, sometimes they plant clues earlier in the story to hint about what will come later. The planting of those clues is called foreshadowing. So how is the major action of this story uh, foreshadowed? How does the foreshadowing help create suspense? Uh, really good. This is, uh, uh, yeah, uh, let's see. Sometimes you may be able to, to, to uh, uh, derive the definition of an unfamiliar word by using context clues. Uh, this is language and vocabulary. Uh, or supplied by other words. So the one thing said, the appointments were of the finest, the linen, crystal, the silver. Uh, the word appointments... Uh, means equipment or furnishings, and you can see that in the context. Uh, use context clues to try to identify these. When he looked up from his plate, he found the, found the other person studying him, appraising him narrowly. Uh, his hands were closed as if uh, there was something tangible that someone was trying to take from his grip, uh, something tangible. Uh, so those are a couple. Then for composition, uh, most of the suspense in this story is related to the external con- conflict, uh, and the reader wants to know what's going to happen. Write a paragraph that could have been part of a longer story. So this maybe was where we got the movie idea from. I don't remember much about the movie other than a couple of sequences. Uh, introduce uh, some something that comes up and creates some suspense about the outcome you may also you may write about something external or internal nature uh, people whatever it is and then about the author so richard connell 1893 to 1949 began writing at an early age uh, my first writing was in the newspaper. My father edited in Poughkeepsie, New York. I covered basketball games. I was 10 years old, got $10 a game. 
Went to Harvard, wrote for the Daily Crimson and the Lampoon. Uh, after college, worked in New York City for a newspaper, then advertising, and then in 1990, 1990, 1919, he went freelance. Uh, once estimated, he sold about 300 short stories to, to magazines and wrote several novels and many screenplays, but this is the best-known story. Has appeared in numerous anthologies and been adapted many times. Okay, so this goes into Did I Read It? The next story is called The Lady or the Forest Friend, Tony, the Forest Friend that's on Serial, T I G E R. And the only reason I kind of remember this story, I have no idea what the story is, but I think this is one of those stories where it doesn't end and you're supposed to, choose, like, you imagine how it ended, but that's only. Like, my memory may be fragmented. Uh, it's by Frank R. Stockton. I'm not going to read through the story. There is a vocabulary word, amphitheater. Uh, there's one picture of what looks like people in, like, Roman or Grecian garb discussing things. And it's not as long as uh, the other story. But let's see if we can, like, let's go into the study or discussions, because I don't, I really don't remember this, other than that maybe we were supposed to imagine how it ended. Like, I'm just trying to imagine what our assignment was in class, uh, or we were supposed to write our own version. But let's see, the, oh yeah, so I was right. Uh, the author kind of challenges you to guess the outcome of the story, from what you know of the princess, but I still don't remember. Which do you think she would point to? the lady or the Tony the forest friend at one point you're told the solution to the question lies in understanding the nature of the princess think of it fair reader as not as if a decision of the question depended upon yourself but upon the princess does the answer lie within the story or in the individual reader Okay, and then they talk about plot, sequence of events or actions in a story, whatever the characters do, whatever they say, whatever happens, whatever they think, and what happens to them. Often, before the plot begins, there's a section of exposition. The exposition is an introduction. You know, heavy sleep podcasts are heavy on exposition. It presents information and it helps the readers understand the situation of the story. In The Lady or the Forest Friend Named Tony... The T-I-G-E-R. The exposition is given in the first eight paragraphs. What information is provided? The action of the story generally evolves out of C-O-N-F-L. You know, is it external or internal? Or what ones are presented of both in the story? What is the central one? Uh, Complications are introduced that make it difficult. Uh, What complications does Stockton introduce into his story? And how do they add interest? Uh, as the story becomes more complicated, it moves to a climax. Uh, climax is the highest point in the story. And uh, like that determines uh, the outcome. What is the, the climax of the story? Uh, and then the final part of the story is resolution. As resolution moves down from the high point, uh, it usually settles the conflict. Uh, how do they say, handle the resolution? Plots of many stories follow this pattern. Exposition, conflict, complications, climax, resolution. If you've already read the first story in this book, identify those points in the story. 
uh, irony. There's several kinds of irony. All of them depend on a contrast between appearance and reality. A very common kind is verbal irony, which is a way of saying or writing one thing and meaning the opposite. Uh, uh, so you say, oh, like if you're cold and you say, oh, it's a, what a lovely day, uh, you're being ironic. Uh, uh, writers often uh, uh, try to use irony for unpleasant things or characters uh, and uh, by, try, by trying to pretend that you're taking them at face value, you... Uh, you try the writers are trying to make you see what they're really like. Uh, they use the term poetic justice in an ironic way in this story, hoping the readers will understand that. Uh, in addition, to, in order to understand a writer's irony, we first must decide what the facts really are, uh, or if the way seems things seem are they different. Uh, explain why each of the following statements is ironic. Uh, if the irony is not clear, reread each statement. Uh, uh, in this one, uh, people are refined and cultured. Uh, uh, perfect fairness is obvious. So find other ironic statements in the story. Okay, here's the composition. Uh, they leave the leave it up to you to decide what happens. Write your own version of the ending. So probably we did that. I don't remember. Right? I mean, I kind of remember it. Uh, to make your ending effective, you might want to show you. So do that. Uh, so yeah, at some point I'll reread this and then uh, say because I really don't remember it at all. Uh, other than it's like some choice. Uh, uh, let's see. Frank Stockton was born in Philadelphia, 1834 to 1902. His parents thought he would be a doctor. He became a wood engraver in '67. So when he was 34, he began for more and more time to writing and engraving. And then he's contributed to children's stories, to magazines, uh, then started writing for adult magazines. And the most famous story, Lady of the Forest Friend named Tony, the T-I-G-E-R, appeared in 1882 in Century Magazine. And it caused a great sensation. So, you know, I'm going to pause and just read the beginning of the story and then see if it triggers anything for me. Okay, so I read the story, and uh, I, 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 kind of, I do remember it now. It has a, a couple of good layers to it. It has a king who's constantly, who's very uh, solutions-oriented uh, with everything else, and then he has a simple form of justice that he thinks is fair, but it's more based on randomness. Yeah, then he wants to get in the way of his daughter's romantic uh, relationship, uh, and he complicates it in a way that's like a total lose-lose situation for his daughter and more or less for her boyfriend. And uh, But then the last layer is really where it's brilliant because the person has to randomly choose, okay, if I go through door on the left... Uh, or door on the right, and on the door on the left is a portal where you'd go live in somewhere else uh, forever. For example, the big farm, and you'd be relaxed there. And the other door is like, hey, you, you, you'll uh, have this other opportunity to move somewhere else uh, 
and like uh, have life with this uh, like like you get like uh, go go have a career in a relationship somewhere else uh and so it's just interesting that uh, like then the, the the kind of the daughter gives a secret sign and that's kind of the really where the last uh, level it's like was well, she telling him which way is she telling him to go does she want him to be happy or just move away kind of so that's pretty cool. The third book is, or the third story is by uh, someone that has had a great influence on this podcast uh, through their novels, which is Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, and this one's called Tom Edison's A Shaggy Dog. And they also have, uh, there's also Thurber in here. And they can feel like they're like in other humorists of this uh, era. So it's Tom Edison's Shaggy Dog, and it has two people sitting on a bench, one person trying in a suit trying to read a book, and then another guy like with a Hawaiian shirt and clashing pants and red shoes uh, talking up a storm, kind of like an airplane thing, like where the person that sits next to you won't stop talking to you, and the dog is licking the guy's knee, uh, ankle. And I don't think I remember this story yet, uh... Let's see, it mentions Horace Greeley, uh, Henry Ford, uh, Wizard. Edison was known as the Wizard of uh, Menlo Park. Uh, Then it shows, like, two kids uh, conducting, uh, like, electronic measurements on a dog's ears. uh, And this is, uh, so, I don't remember this story, though. It's probably because of the next one, but, uh, so let's go to the study. A shaggy dog story is a joke that spun out, spun out of a long rambling tale. Uh, uh, oh my gosh, I'm going to read this word for word. The shaggy dog story is a joke that spun out to a long rambling tale. It is intended to lead the listener and generally involves absurd, unreal events, uh, what is the Shaggy Dog story? So I'll have to read this one, but not right now. Uh, at what point does Bullard begin to realize that he's being taken in? What is a joke the stranger pulls? Those, those, this is interesting. Uh, a story within a story. This is where this is what Vonnegut taught me later, a couple of years later, maybe a year, maybe this was later this year, when I first read Hocus Pocus. Story within a story. Sometimes an author chooses to tell a story within the framework of another story. This is a big part of Sleep With Me. In its simplest form, the framework can introduce a group of people discussing a particular topic and say, oh yeah, that reminds me of this story. Then the inner story begins. In such a story, the inner story is usually the much more important one. In other stories... uh, uh, this just reminds me of a Thurber story, the night the, with the bed. <laughs> but, uh, uh, like, that's one of his famous because he's coming up next. Uh, uh, other stories, the framework plays a more important role. Uh, for example, in this story, it's two stories that are equally important. The framework story and the story within a story reinforce one another, and each story adds meaning to the other one. In which way, what way are the framework story and the inner story related, and how does the story... So then there's illusions. One of Bullard's mannerisms is his transformation of well-known sayings to suit his own beliefs. Uh, 
So he changes Horace Greeley's, fa- Greeley's famous statement, go west, young man, go west, to go at him, young man. That Vonnegut depends on the re- reader recognizing that, uh, which would have been tough. Uh, to appreciate the humor of the revision, one needs to know the original. Uh, here are some other well-known sayings that appear. Opportunity knocks only once. Uh, darkest before dawn. Dogs, man's best friend. Let sleeping dogs lie. Uh, for a composition, write an imaginary narrative. Of how was the wheel invented? Or imagine some other invention. Or treat, and treat your narrative as a shade. I don't remember doing this, so maybe we skip this story. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut was from Indianapolis, went to Cornell, Carnegie Institute of Technology, and uh, Universities of Tennessee in Chicago. Uh, He was in Dresden, uh, which he wrote about in uh, his books, uh, Mother's Night and uh, uh, The House of uh, Five. Uh, He has a bunch of other well-known books, Cat's Cradle, Siren's Edition, Breakfast of Champions. He's published more than 100 short stories, many of them science fiction uh, Tom Edison's Shaggy Dog is from Welcome to the Monkey House, a collection of his stories. So that's one. Then the next one, so I definitely remember reading this next story, because it, it uh, which is interesting, because I guess uh, as a, like from after freshman year to the adulthood, to adulthood and even into adulthood, I've read much, I have read a, a decent amount of Thurber, but I've read much more Vonnegut than Thurber, though they're very, uh, well, they're not very, they're, some of their sensibilities are similar, uh, but I'm not an expert. But so this book, and this is, was made into a movie like in the last uh, five years, uh, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, and there's never been a fictional character that I ever identified with more, especially at the time. I was like, this is, this is who I am. Uh, so it just came at the exact time. I was like, this is what my life is like. Uh, I live in my head most of the time. And if you haven't read the short story, I highly recommend it. It's by James Serber, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. And in some sense, I still live this way. And there's some, uh, let's see, there's like some pictures. There's one of uh, Walter Mitty driving and he's imagining, like, he's, like, uh, fixing some—he's using—it looks like he's using a pen to fix some sort of equipment uh, to help somebody. And everyone is cheering him on and amazed. And he's like, man, I'm smooth, like, as I fix this thing. Uh, let's see, there's Coles to Newcastle, a saying that is used to, to indicate unnecessary work. Newcastle is a famous city for coal production— uh, Carbo, Carbonundrum Initiative and Referendum Carborundum is a hard brace of material Initiative like uh, is the citizens introducing new re- legislation Referendum refers to the right of the citizens to vote on the laws uh, The association in Mitty's mind is, is one of sound, not of sense uh, then there's another uh, picture of Mitty kind of sitting on his, his easy chair and imagining himself a hero, a dashing hero, uh, and people looking on and him saying, okay, I'm going to dash to heroes, uh, uh, circus, uh, 
Opera de Ma Blonde is a French song, inscrutable, it, which it, that's a good SAT word for inscrutable, unknowable, or mysterious. I N S C R U T A B L E. Okay, so this is the discussion part, study or discussion. Walter Mitty contrasts Walter Mitty's life with his secret life. Uh, why does he feel he wants to escape from his real life? Uh, uh, each of his daydreams is sparked by some detail from everyday life, uh, like where what he drives fast. Uh, explain how his daydreams grow of actual events. Uh, what kind of person, what kind of people does Mitty surround himself with? Uh, the final incident shows Walter Mitty dreaming himself, uh, uh, like in the last act of her her heroism. Uh, how is this, uh, but also not like... Uh, He's got a certain mentality. Uh, is this final daydream of Mitty an adequate summing up of the story? Why or why not? Uh, readers have found uh, the secret life of Walter Mitty both funny and uh, SAD. How is it both funny and SAD? And then the stuff they want to teach us here. One is direct and indirect characterization. A writer can develop and reveal a character through uh, physical description, through action, through thoughts, feelings, and speeches, uh, through comments and reactions of other characters, through direct statements, uh, giving the writer's opinion of the character. Uh, the first four methods are indirect methods of characterization. They show or dramatize the character. The last method is direct characterization. It tells rather than dramatizes. Within a single passage, uh, the author may use both direct and indirect. Uh, Thurber uses three, me the, three of these methods to de develop the characterization of MIDI. Uh, tell which, which ones he uses uh, in examples. Uh, dramatic irony. Irony contrasts the real with, with what only seems to be real. A writer may say one thing and mean another. This is a kind of irony which was discussed on page 24, verbal irony. Another kind of irony is dramatic irony. Dramatic irony contrast depends on the difference between the characters uh, and what the readers know. Uh, Mitty has a fantasy about you know being a hero, but they know that it's not true. Uh, find other examples of dramatic irony. Uh, language and vocabulary, recognizing mar mock jargon. Jargon is a special language uh, for a group of people, especially people in the same job, like engineers, lawyers, carpenters, doctors. Often such language is necessary to communicate complex ideas, but sometimes, uh, you know, they need it to, they use it just to impress people. Uh, incomprehensible speech, uh, they poke, this book pokes fun at the jargon of groups. Uh, uh, can you find other examples of mark, mock jargon? Uh, oh, I re definitely remember this. I don't remember the sequel, but write a sequel to uh, this book. Uh, and uh, they kind of lead you. Let, let Mitty have more one more daydream of glory. Uh, show how a detailed voice sparks that daydream. At the end of the story, have it be interrupted. Or, if you like, write a short story about another character. Right? That's right, what I did. And then James Thurber, uh, 1894 to 1961, achieved success as a writer and a cartoonist. He's one of America's most highly regarded humorists. 
I mean, his short stories are so funny. I mean, holy moly. The night the, night the bed fell. What's the one about his coat? Uh, the night the bed fell is probably, or, um, yeah, I would start with that one. And that might be one of the more famous ones, too. Uh, he's one of America's, uh, part of his success lies in being funny and serious at the same time. His writings and drawings are uh, uh, populated with people trying to cope with modern life and puzzled, compassionate dogs who observe things. Uh, grew up in Columbus, Ohio, Ohio State University. Uh, later wrote about the early years in a book, My Funny Lo- My Life in Hard Times. I wrote for newspapers in Columbus, Paris, New York. Worked on the staff of New Yorker magazine. And was associated with the New Yorker for the rest of his life as an editor, then a writer. Essays, cartoons, and stories for the magazines. And became one of the best-known best contributors. Uh, much of his work is collected in books that, like, uh, yeah, some really great books. Uh, and he wrote about, uh, he also did, like, nonfiction. Like, he has this great series about soap operas that I think are really informative about podcasting. Uh, he's collaborated on plays, uh, and some of his best satire appeals appears in uh, Fables of Our Time and Further Fables, uh, and uh, he's also wrote ch- children's books like uh, The Thirteen Clocks. Okay, the next one, I do have no idea. All the Years of Her Life, that's by Morley Callahan. And it has a person standing in front of a shop window with his arms crossed in a suit. Uh, then it has a picture, a close-up picture of a woman... Uh, then it has a like a woman sitting at a table drinking tea with a, like a younger person looking on. So let me just see, did I read this? Uh, for study or discussions, there's two major characters in the story, Alfred and his mother. Who's the main character? I don't remember. Uh, one way is to identify the climax. Uh, looks like Alfred got caught doing something he wasn't supposed to. And his mo- is Alfred understanding his mother for the first time? Talk about who, what person Alfred is. What methods does Callahan use? Uh, how does Alfred's mother handle Mr. Carr? How does what is her? So maybe he took something from the, yeah. There's like the uh, the the local five and dime type store. Alfred's mother is mainly seen through Alfred's eyes. How does his understanding of his mother change? Uh, then it talks about the lesson from it is static and dynamic characters. Characters in fiction are also often static or dynamic. Static is stay the same, dynamic change in some way. Alfred changes in this story. Uh, at that moment, his youth seemed to come to a close or something. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing. Does that change make Alfred a better person? Is Walter Mitty a static or dynamic character? Well, that's a good question. What about characters in the game? Uh, for composition, create a dominant impression. Alfred begins to understand his mother's inner nature as he watches her pouring herself a cup of tea. Uh, is, is she, she, uh, she's a little bit down. Note how Callaghan... 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 Callaghan Callaghan, Callaghan, uh, creates a single impression of Alfred's mother through careful selection of details and well-chosen modifiers and verbs. Which words are particularly effective? 
and then it wants you to do that. Morley Callahan, Callaghan, Callan, Callaghan. Morley Callaghan was born in Toronto, went to the University of Toronto, uh, and then Osgood Law School. Between college and law school, worked as a reporter, met Ernest Hemingway, who encouraged him to write. Uh, First short stories were in literary magazines, uh, then larger magazines like The New Yorker. uh, Also included in a lot of uh, best short story collections. So that's kind of interesting, and I guess I didn't realize that that would take up so much. Like, I, that's only 45 pages uh, I read through of, like, 600 books. So I'll try to figure out a different method for next time of going through this, but that was interesting. Uh, and, yeah, like I said, a couple of those books, uh, like, stories uh, definitely had a main impact, and I'll read a couple of the other ones uh, for my own pleasure. Thanks and good night.